India marks the 75th anniversary of its independence from British rule this week. Prime Minister Narendra Modi spoke of the country's changing status on the world stage. Long the world's largest democracy, it is increasingly becoming an economic and global powerhouse as well. While per capita income is still relatively low, it is the world's sixth largest economy and it is the fastest growing one among major economies. It is predicted it will reach third place globally behind China and the U.S. by 2050. It's also set to become the world's most populous country, surpassing China sometime very soon, according uh, to uh, the U.N. Prime Minister Trudeau wrote uh, this week that Canada and India had a strong, long-standing and vibrant relationship built on strong values, such as democracy and people-to-people ties, with over 1.4 million people of Indian heritage calling this country home. But not all are celebrating this week. There has been a crackdown on civil liberties, critics say, in the country since Modi was elected in 2014. Uh, Critics of his Hindu nationalist government say his government is transforming the country by rejecting the ideals of secularism, tolerance, respect for civil liberties championed by those who stood at the top of India as it was became independent 75 years ago. Joining me now with more on this is Neelish Bose. He's an associate professor and Canada Research Chair in Global and Comparative History at the University of Victoria. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Uh, thank you for having me, Dan. Uh, it, it has been quite the week. I know that, in fact, it was actually a 75th anniversary year. This all started about a year ago, uh, the build-up to this date. Uh, lots to celebrate, obviously. Uh, India's undergone some, some pretty dramatic changes, uh, not just in the last 75 years, but in the last 20 years. Indeed. Uh, And I would say that uh, just to take a slightly longer view, you know, India at uh, age of 75 really has been through so many different trials and tribulations. The emergency of the 1970s, various separatist movements and internal dissensions uh, from the Northeast uh, to the Punjab and the West uh, before the the opening of the Indian economy in the 90s and uh, the entry of India into the global stage, I think, in the 21st century. Um, and I would say that you know the rise of digital technology and development and the creation of a of a digital ID system has really put India uh, into the world in in new ways. I would say also that the uh, impact of the Modi administration showcases and the various celebrations really showcase this aggressive India, um, the lavish celebrations, the constant online nationalist uh, flag waving has really shown this turn in India, which I think is relatively new for the history of India. Yeah, I was reading, uh, I think I put this out to you when I first contacted you, I was reading uh, something last week that talked about how sort of uh, the pacifism of Gandhi is no longer the way that the country likes to see itself, that it likes to see itself as a more uh, muscular force uh, on the world stage than, than what we may remember from, from back in, those, uh, in the lead up to independence and so on. Uh, yes, I would say that is something that really, if we think, uh, take a longer view, uh, at least through the 20th century, that that is a really remarkable change. Um, though India has made great strides in certain sectors, uh, in education and economic development in certain sectors, a thriving uh, banking and retail sector, um, I would say that one major radical change from the early post-colonial years is this rapid rise to an aggressive and militarized posture on the world stage, one that would probably surprise uh, individuals who are central to the anti-colonial struggles, people like Mohandas Gandhi, Maulana Azad, and many others, uh, none of whom were supportive of the partition of India, and none of whom would have been supportive of an aggressive uh, nationalism in the world. 
Um, one of the things that obviously came up this week is the criticism of, of sort of Hindu nationalism writ large, and, and I won't pretend to be an expert on it. I don't, uh, and also just the, the, the crackdown on dissent, that it feels like while it is a more successful and wealthier India, um, it is also a less tolerant India. I, I don't know if that's fair, but uh, I'll, I'll ask you that. I would say that uh, India should not be seen in one-dimensional terms, uh, though, yes, I would agree with critics of the nation-state of India that both the rise of religious majoritarianism and the increasing attacks on minorities in new ways is something that has to be identified, as well as new legal measures that have identified certain uh, refugee communities and asylum seekers as more worthy of citizenship than others. This is a trend, I would say, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years that definitely needs to be identified. However, on the other hand, I would say that India has a vibrant, dynamic political culture that constantly engages the state and uh, different legal changes of the state. Uh, if we think of the farmer protests just a few years ago, as well as many protests and different kinds of engagement with the new laws about citizenship show that the vibrant dynamism of India and the diversity of India um, is still very much with us. It certainly has an incredibly um, diverse and interesting media culture as well. Anytime I've ever, you know, it, it, it seems to have a very vibrant media culture as well, which speaks uh, to to its to its role as the world's largest democracy. It's always nice to see that it has a vibrant uh, uh, media as well, a fourth estate. Absolutely. And I'd say that though the digital age brings forth all sorts of new questions, I had mentioned that there's a, a digital ID system, which for the critics of the system showcase a new kind of surveillance that the state is now, as you mentioned, this is one of the largest states in the world, about over 1.3 billion people. Um, it is also now a system that the recent Modi administration has um, implemented so that uh, those on uh, the most marginalized sectors of society are able to access institutions of the state um, and are able to access new institutions of microcredit and lending and banking. It is definitely a mixed record. It is not something that is only positive or negative, but I would say that India is definitely leading the way into new forms of politics that need to be identified and appreciated. Um, Prime Minister Modi spoke about advances, about sort of wanting to be a developed nation, uh, by the 100th anniversary, uh, what do you think both the, you know, the challenges are there and also the, the potential as well? Because it feels like there's both, like a country of that size, you feel like there's both potential and challenges in terms of continuing this advance. Yes, I would say in terms of the potential and the challenges, I would start with the challenges that I think at one level are common to any society in this context, although it is one of the largest societies that faces um, a population of this size, the inheritance of colonial practices of rule, and the need to develop very quickly in a manner that uh, most societies in the West uh, have not. So those challenges bring to light uh, the environmental limits of growth, uh, the nature of the state when it uh, allies with different um, construction projects, often affecting indigenous populations and populations that had been marginalized by the state uh, to begin with. But on the other hand, there is great uh, potential, I think, for different kinds of growth. As I mentioned, there's great um, developments in the education sector. Uh, private education is growing in India. Various tech sectors are growing, uh, banking and IT as well. I think uh, taking advantage of the fact 
that the globalized economy of today brings forth new kinds of questions and challenges, and India's population, diversity, and ability to manage all sorts uh, of challenges over these last 75 years shows that India has quite a lot to offer the world. Certainly a lot to celebrate as it turns 75. I'm speaking with Neelish Bose. He's an associate professor and Canada Research Chair in Global and Comparative History at the University of Victoria. We're talking about India marking 75 years of independence uh, this week, Monday. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about India on the world stage because it's hard not to talk about, obviously, its uh, prominent neighbor, Pakistan, who also celebrated 75 years of independence uh, on Sunday. And we'll talk a bit about that, but also just the role that India can take uh, on the world stage because there's tensions with China. Uh, It's going to be an interesting interesting 25 years as, as India heads towards 100 uh, as it takes its place, uh, a more prominent place uh, in global politics. We'll be back with that. Nilesh Bose is with us this half hour. He's an Associate Professor and Canada Research Chair in the Global and Comparative History Department at the University of Victoria. We're talking about India marking 75 years of independence on Monday, a, a big day, a big celebration in India as well. And just some of both uh, what has been to cele- what there is to celebrate and what critics say there is to, uh, to be leery of as well when it comes to the 75th anniversary. Um, Nilesh, on, on the foreign stage. Uh, I guess you can't start talking about India and foreign affairs without talking about Pakistan and partition and and the ongoing fight over Kashmir and so on. Um, Where does that, I mean, where where did that sit this week? Because both Pakistan and India obviously celebrated 75 years um, and there were lots of very heartwarming stories about reunions and so on. Um, What what impact has that had on both these countries since, since back in 1947? Yes, I think that uh, one of the sad truths that we have to confront is that though there is a lot to celebrate um, for independence, there is also uh, a lot to identify as shared between India and Pakistan, unfortunately, with uh, very sad and tragic stories. And hopefully through the identification of histories uh, that often were hidden in the past, we might be able to move into a different era. I would just say that uh, the history of the partition, which is a vast history, I could just say briefly that uh, the British Empire right after World War II, which was massively in debt and aimed to speed up their operations of exit, um, created a very hurried and chaotic system uh, by which they left. And many of the issues confronting India in the late colonial period were not resolved, issues about minorities and power sharing, And so small acts of violence often uh, emerged in the early part of 1947 uh, before partition happened, sometimes out of fear, uh, sometimes out of uh, cycles of retribution. At the same time, there was a lack of British imperial capacity to deal with violence. And one of the issues that we now face that India and Pakistan and now Bangladesh, uh, which was formed out of a civil war between West and East Pakistan in 1971, is the condition of people being defined primarily by their religious identities. This is something that was introduced in the colonial period and something we now live with. Some groups are majorities and some are permanent minorities. This created scores of refugees in India, Pakistan, and now Bangladesh. And this legacy of minority communities experiencing persecution, helplessness, dispossession. This appears in various forms in the present in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. And I think that amidst the celebrations, this fact should never be forgotten. 
It always strikes me that that the relationship between India and Pakistan never seems to improve much. If anything, it seems like they don't talk much at all when it comes to some of the more uh, pressing issues such as Kashmir. We've seen uh, very little movement there of late. Uh, Do you see, as we head towards 100 years, do we see this worsening? I mean, these are two nuclear powers, obviously. Uh, Do we still see this worsening or is there any chance, do you think, for some sort of breakthrough as we move on? I think, un- unfortunately, I don't see it uh, changing from the path that it has been taking recently, which in- is not all uh, one-dimensional. But with India, um, I think, making more and more strides to control parts of Kashmir in the ways that they want to, to provide uh, a space for Indians from all over India to enter Kashmir, to own land in Kashmir, and to claim Kashmir in a certain way, um, this direction, I think, this trend will continue. And then I think Pakistan and India's militarization, unfortunately, seems to only be growing. However, I think, as you mentioned, with more and more media and more and more access to how uh, the world is changing, I think there's much more information about Kashmir that is accessible throughout the world. And uh, also how uh, members of the Kashmiri diaspora are engaging with Kashmir is becoming more and more accessible uh, to the rest of the world, which might lead to uh, changes within uh, India and Pakistan. And one can't talk about that region now without talking about what seems to be or what could well be a very intense regional rivalry between uh, potentially two of the three largest economies and the two most populous countries in the world, uh, China and India. Uh, and we've seen a bit of, you know, a bit of tension there uh, of late. Um, how do you see that developing and where is it now and how do you see it progressing in the, in the near future? Yes, I think that so China and India and, and Pakistan on the question of Kashmir have since the beginning of a post-colonial South Asia have always um, been involved in a site of contestation over certain parts of Kashmir. That does not seem to be changing. I think what is changing is how India is starting to uh, point itself in new directions within the Indian Ocean, um, and it sees itself as uh, a leader, an alternative to China throughout the world in parts of Africa, in parts of the Middle East, uh, and potentially in Sri Lanka. And I think that India is trying to position itself in new ways throughout the world, not only within its own neighborhood, but elsewhere. And this may have implications down the road when we get to uh, 100 years. Uh, The presence of Indians uh, throughout the world uh, in the Middle East and in Africa has taken on various shapes in its vast history. And I think it might be that India is trying to pivot itself in different directions as it moves forward. We saw that a bit, of course, with the war in Ukraine, where where India has been uh, has has been trying to 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 march to its, I mean, at least try to to uh, walk a slightly different path. If it, to to be to be fair, and I, I, it's interesting to watch. What have you made of that? I think there are a few ways to think about it. Uh, India, uh, like many other uh, nation states who became independent in the 1940s, 50s, 60s who tried to chart um, their own non-aligned path forward, um, has traces of this uh, way of looking to the, to the future, not uh, following the United States directly, not following China, not following any one major uh, world power. There are shades of this, but then there are also now um, uh, histories and intentions likely of India aiming to create a new kind of uh, perhaps Indian Uh, power sphere in parts of the Indian Ocean, parts of the Middle East, and parts of Central Asia. 
India's official stance uh, in various uh, wars that have been led by uh, Western powers has been to stay neutral, to chart a third path. Uh, many of the critics of India see India as building its own soft power throughout the world. And I think we shall see, perhaps, when we get to the 100th year anniversary, how that might play out in places like Africa, Middle East, and Sri Lanka. Well, it'll certainly be interesting because obviously India does have something very different from China to offer other parts of the world, particular places where they also have a large diaspora as well. And it'll be uh, that shall be a, a, an interesting state competition to watch in the future. Anilish Bose, thank you so much for your time tonight. We could talk about this for much longer, but hopefully we can come back and talk about India uh, and the region again soon. Thank you very much for having me.